Good morning. Uh, we're going to read our scripture this, this morning from three different passages. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, verses 15 through 35. It's on page 72 in your pew Bibles, if you want to grab those. And when you have it, please stand if you're able. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, 
Go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Now we're going to move to Exodus 34, just a couple page, a page or two over, verses 29 and 30. It's on page 75 in the Pew Bibles. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now we're going to move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It's on page 965, 965. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The word of the Lord. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Giving honor to God the Father and to the Son who died for us and to the Holy Spirit. And giving thanks for Pastor Gerald for graciously allowing me to stand in his steed and serve people for whom he must give an account. Good morning, people who the Father loves, Pastor Gerald loves, and I love too. It is so good to be among you this morning and serve you with God's word in this way. Let us seek the Lord's face together and then go into God's word. And now, God, we... Again, yield our hearts and our minds, our soul and our strength to you so that we might be your instruments of grace and mercy to billions who need to hear about the Son. So God, do a work through us today, through song, through prayer, through the reading of the scriptures, through the word, through sacrifice through the ordinances, through fellowship with the saints of God. 
do a work so that Oak Park will hear the gospel and the light of the gospel can cut through the darkness that is so prevalent in many places that all over Chicagoland people would hear that our mission partners would be empowered to proclaim Christ faithfully among the nations. Do all of this so that your name is magnified and all will know the name of Jesus. Be merciful to us now and give us your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking with one of my adult children this last week, one that I am hoping to see grow a little more in the faith. Like the other three of my five children who claim faith in Christ, I know this child's pastor and church. And I've had hope that this child would return to in-person attendance at that church now that the pandemic restrictions have been lifted. I like this child's church because the pastor has similar schooling to me. But this child <clears throat> mentioned his or her virtual participation in the ministry of another church whose pastor does not have advanced theological education. I have cautioned two of my other children on concerns I have about that pastor's ministry. However, before I could go into cautionary dad mode with the adult child, you understand what that is, my child says to me, Dad, I know you have some concerns about this pastor. But for someone who is just now returning to church and trying to renew my faith, this pastor speaks to me in a very relevant way. At that moment, I caught myself. Rather than saying what I was immediately attempt or tempted to say, but what about X shortcoming of this pastor? Instead, this time, I said, that's great. <laughs> I'm glad that you are getting something from that pastor's preaching. See, despite my best efforts, I had not been successful in getting this child to return to the church of my theologically trained friend. But in this moment... I was accepting of the ministry of the lesser trained pastor. This made me wonder why the credentials of the first pastor had such significance with me. Looking at human credentials is not sinful. It is very important to do so before one decides on what apartment to purchase or before one finds a therapist or secures a music or dance instructor or picks a hair stylist. You want to live in a place where the landlords care about their properties and you want someone well-trained and certified in caring for matters of the mind and emotions. You want an instructor exceptional in producing skilled musicians and ballerinas, and you want an artist who has given many people cuts 
and styles that gain nods and who also will keep your hair from thinning or falling out. <laughs> Credentials are also a factor one should consider when exploring a pastor's ministry. Historically, that's what having an MDiv, a Master of Divinity, from a solid school did for a pastoral candidate. You and I want to sit under someone thoroughly trained in Scripture and theology rather than sit under someone who will run out of his ability to continue to explain the Scriptures in a few years, and then we'll turn to scratching our ears with baptized pop culture messages. Credentials are important. But the era of which we all are guilty of making with human credentials is looking at them as a measure of the working of the Spirit of God toward us. When we return to 2 Corinthians 3, we are looking at a church being led astray by opponents identified as super apostles. They are not really super. They are not any more super than Paul or John or Thaddeus. But they are presenting themselves as superior to Paul in speech, in the value of their ministries, and in their public displays of success. They looked polished, and Paul did not. Their message to the congregation is that of a completely realized victory in Christ in the present age. They are promoting Christ as the one who gives absolute and complete prosperity in all things in this life over and above the message of the gospel that Paul preaches, a gospel that includes suffering in this life as part of the path to Christ's victory. The super apostles have convinced the congregation that Paul needs letters of recommendation or that he should be hyping up his credentials if he really has any. For in the ancient Roman world, as Pastor Gerald has noted, Having letters of recommendation from persons of worth or status gave one credibility in the eyes of people. So if Paul is really an apostle, they seem to have argued, why doesn't he come commending himself or come with letters of recommendation? They appear to have concluded that it is because he is not successful, and thus the church at Corinth should dismiss him. Now, rather than pull out his dossier that would have humbled a theological researcher and the thriving pastors of even today's ministry standards, Paul appeals to a different proof to validate his gospel message. He appeals to the working of Christ in the lives of the Corinthians, a working brought about by them following his life and his preaching of the death and resurrection of Christ as the Spirit of God transformed their lives. In a great play on words, the words letter and letters, 
Paul will explain that written words of letters of recommendation have no more value for measuring the working of the Spirit of God than does living by the letters that produced the Old Testament law and its standards. As in the case of this dad looking for growth in Christ in one of his children, the credentialing the Corinthians and we really want for serving the needs of our souls is credentialing by the Spirit of God. We want a Spirit-credentialed ministry. And here's why. Number one, a Spirit-credentialed ministry is preferred because all human credentials have death dates. When Paul speaks of the ministry of death in verse 7, he is referring to the effects of the Old Testament law, a law carved in letters of stone, he says. That reference takes us back to Exodus 32 and 34, which is why Lisa read those long passages to us today. Thank you for reading those, Lisa. In Exodus 32, Moses comes down Mount Sinai with the two stone tablets of the law in his hands. But the first thing that happens after giving of the law is his confrontation with the people worshiping a golden calf. In his anger, Moses will break the two tablets of stone and crush them, and he will take the golden calf and crush it into powder and make the people drink it mixed in with the waters. The Lord brings death upon 3,000 of the sinful ancient Israelites that day. The Lord brought death to a sinful people while bringing the law. Moses then goes back up the mountain and receives a second set of tablets of stone. When he comes down the mountain this time, his face is shining with the glory of God as he carries the tablets. The tablets, therefore, come with the glory of God upon Moses and are associated with the glory of God. Because Moses is radiating with the glory of God, the sinful people cannot stand to look at him. The glory associated with the law is necessary to transform the people into those who can welcome God into their midst. However, because ancient Israel is a stiff-necked disobedient people, they cannot look upon the glory of God in Moses' face. God's glory mediated through Moses shows the nation of Israel to be worthy of judgment and will bring about their deaths. Therefore, in an act of mercy, Moses veils his face. This both keeps ancient Israel from judgment and it hides the very glory they need to see in order to become godly. Paul says that glory was becoming 
inoperative. Note the three limitations of these letters written on stone. First, the stones themselves are breakable and would have dissolved in time. Second, the glory of these stones is becoming inoperable, needing to be recharged every time Moses unveils himself in the presence of God. And this glory eventually dies with Moses' death. Third, these letters serve up death to the people, giving ancient Israel the very words of the law they will break to make themselves worthy of death. Paul now says, if the letters on these stones came with glory so brilliant and holy that the people could not look upon it, we should expect far more from the Spirit of God. The ministry of the Spirit of God reflects an indwelling work in every believer, inaugurated by the death of Christ for us and his rising from the dead. The indwelling work began on the day of Pentecost when Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the church to empower her for the work of the gospel. That working brings life rather than death and takes place in human souls rather than on stones that will break. When you are in the hospital and you need the best medical care, credentials matter, which is why there are things like board examinations. You want someone qualified in health care to diagnose, prescribe, anesthetize, treat, and operate so that you can live longer and not die. In the sphere of soul change, when you want to bring life to a failing marriage, the credential you want someone to bring to you is a spirit-filled life. And not just that someone is on the faculty at Pritzker, Stritch, or Feinberg Medical. Feinberg Medical is not less than the Spirit. It is the glorious, gracious working of God in healthcare. But whether a deacon is medical or not does not matter when she or he comes to lay hands on your marriage, on your body, on your child who is about to face secular pushback in every classroom, or as you and you as you face decisions that will drastically change the lives of many under your care and supervision. What matters then is the power of the Spirit flowing through the one who shows up to pray with you. What matters then is that someone who is walking in the Spirit speaks living words of wisdom and peace and power into your situation. Second, a Spirit-credentialed ministry is preferred because human credentials naturally condemn rather than make one righteous. Down in verse 9, in speaking of the letter of the Old Covenant to explain the nature of letters of recommendations, Paul describes the Old Covenant as that which ministered condemnation. He calls it the ministry of condemnation. 
The letters of the law served to condemn Israel for wrongdoing. The people of God were never able to obey the law fully. The history of redemption in the Hebrew Bible is filled with page after page of the failures of God's people in sin. They never get past being condemned by the law as lawbreakers. That's what the letters do for them. They naturally point out their faults. That's the very reason the New Covenant ministry, the ministry of righteousness, comes into being. Because Israel could not keep the Mosaic law and remained in condemnation, the Lord himself, in mercy, promised to give a new covenant that would bring about Israel's righteousness. The primary reference to this is in Jeremiah 31 verses 33 through 34 in which the Lord says these words. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The three promises of the new covenant to Israel and Judah are one, internalization of the law. For the Lord says, I will put my law within them. Two, full inheritance by the Lord via adoption because the Lord says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And three, complete knowledge of the Lord by all members of Israel. All three promises rest on the Lord canceling the people's iniquity and forgetting their sins against him. They will thusly be righteous according to the law in God's sight. The basis of their righteousness in these promises is Jesus substituting his righteous life for their rebellious life. It is Jesus taking the penalty for the sin due to Israel and Judah and to all people. It is based on Jesus rising from the dead with life to offer life to all who believe in him, and Jesus giving his spirit to internalize the law, to fully adopt them as God's inheritance, and to illuminate their knowledge of God. The new covenant does not condemn. It only provides the righteousness that the condemning letters on the tablets of stone could not provide. In a fashion similar to that of letters of law, letters of recommendation or self-promotion still offer human commendation. In doing so, they come as a double-edged sword to promote one while putting down others without the same human credentials. Let me see if I can explain this. <clears throat> Most of the ways of the world tell us that credentials matter. We need degrees, people look at financial status, job titles and positions, 
They look at whether or not we have the right type of real estate in the right section of the right village. We have to be in the preferred reading and social clubs, etc. And we have to see the achieving of the same by our children because, of course, if our children can't achieve, there was something wrong with the way we parented, and, and we have to go down a notch on the human commendation letter. You guys understand what I mean by that. <laughs> then there are other types of credentialing labels like conservative or evangelical right or SBC in some circles or definitely not SBC in other circles, <laughs> and evangelical who supports abortion rights for some, completely against abortion for any reason for others, and a Christian who is against abortion but supportive of moms and children with acts of compassion for still others. Knowing the right Christian buzzwords, authors, scholars, and speakers provides credentials for many in another way. I mean, how can you not know who blank is and call yourself an evangelical? Now, we're snickering, of course, because we would never say that to anyone. We would just hold our composure outwardly and think something like that inwardly. Within a local assembly, various Human credentialing creates a classism among the body that is undeniable. Let me say that line again. Within a local assembly, various human credentialing creates a classism among the body of Christ that is undeniable. Well, at least it's undeniable by people who are overlooked and made to feel second class because they do not have the right credentials to fit in with anyone else or everyone else. Such people do exist in our, our congregation too. And like at most churches, many of you probably would take offense at the suggestion that this could be true of the place we all love and find so loving, and that's because we already have the necessary human commendations and no no one can make us feel unaccepted. We don't feel what others feel when they walk in for the first time or when they try to fit into the mix here. In contrast to condemning human commendations, the Spirit will bring about righteousness. Such working and products of the Spirit evidence themselves in graciousness of speech, in giving of mercy, in having patience with people, in offering encouragement, in exercising humility before others, in having a willingness to accept criticism, confess wrongdoing, apologize to people, and to forgive people, and other things that only transformed hearts and minds and souls can manifest. We prefer a spirit-credentialed ministry over the letters because that is what we need for soul care. Three, a spirit-credentialed ministry is preferred because its effectiveness is eternal. For Paul writes in verses 10 through 11, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much will what is permanent have glory? 
Scott Hafelman, a 2 Corinthians scholar, says the right way to understand Paul's argument here is this, quote, Because God's purpose and its results in the new covenant surpassed what he has accomplished thus far in the old covenant, therefore, that which formerly was the vehicle of revelation of God's glory is in this respect no longer the means through which God is revealing his glory. Once the new covenant arrives with its primary purpose of granting life in the Spirit, the old covenant with its primary purpose of condemnation is no longer the locus of God's glory in the world. The issue is not that the old covenant was not glorious or that it did not come with glory, for it did. The issue is that the Lord has a new means of revealing his glory that was not the old covenant letters and certainly was not letters of recommendation. And it is not that human credentialing of things in this world are not glorious. In their various spheres of service and places under the lordship of Christ in which we must operate with the wisdom of serpents and the harmlessness of doves, they are appropriately glorious. But they are not glorious with the ultimate glory, for they cannot do what the working of the new covenant ministry of the Spirit of God through the message of Christ can do in each one of us. The eternal glory has begun shining within us, but is not yet fully manifested. The working of the Spirit of God within those who have placed faith in Christ intends our final transformation into the likeness of God and His glory with permanence. Paul says, much more will what is permanent have glory. The power of the Spirit of God is and does what no cache of letters ever can do. As Scott Hafelman concludes, despite the vast cultural differences between Paul's day and our own, Paul's conviction that the Spirit's work in transforming people, God's people, is the distinguishing characteristic of the church including his apostolic ministry of the gospel, remains a constant. Now, all this discussion of the Spirit raises the issue of the cautious approach toward the third member of the Trinity that often characterizes congregations in traditions like ours. Now, some of you are getting scared hearing me say that. Where is he going with this? I thought he taught at Moody. Hang on. We should not be hesitant to accept the mysterious working of the Holy Spirit among us individually and corporately. 
Human credentials are easy to embrace because we can achieve, measure, dismiss, and control them in others and in ourselves. But the Holy Spirit is divine and should never be thought of as controllable and should never be thought of as completely explainable by our minds. To say such things does not make us mystical or charismatic. And I only have to say that because we fear that becoming charismatic might make one fundamentalist or even lower low church than we already are. It might make us one who is totally uncredentialed and might draw us closer to what historian Mark Knoll called his anti-intellectual, or we call it his anti-intellectual Christian trinity, that of Pentecostalism, dispensationalism, and young earth scientism. He said the problem with intellectualism in evangelical Christianity is those three things, God forbid we be labeled with them, some would think. That's not what we're doing here. On the flip side of this concern, if you are one who already has charismatic impulses, beware not to emphasize the worship expressions of the Spirit to the minimizing of the character-changing expressions of the Spirit. The expressive worship experience can give one a different set of credentials, but the character experience of the Spirit remains out of the control of even one with expressive worship experiences. We cannot control the transformative working of the Spirit any more than we can control God the Father. We willingly accept the sovereign working of the Father and of the Son and their mysterious working in tragedy and triumph, defeat and victory, loss of income and miraculous provision. Why wouldn't we accept that the third member of the Trinity works equally mysteriously and sovereignly in his dealings toward us? We are ministering here by the gracious working of the Spirit of God through and in all of us. If the Spirit of God does not work mysteriously to transform you, this message will have no fruit, and I will fail at preaching today. I cannot conjure fruit in you, and you cannot conjure it within yourself or within your friends or your loved ones or your neighbors or even that unbeliever with whom you have been sharing the gospel. Our prayer must continue to be Spirit, of the living God have your way in me and in us to conform us to the image of the Son however you freely choose to do it. The Spirit does not have to send my child to the church of the pastor with my seminary training in order to get that done. He can shape my child through whatever yielded believer he chooses to work through. Moreover, we need to seek and build our smallest community relationships on the basis of the working of the Spirit to produce righteousness and not on the basis of human credentials. 
Every organization has insiders and outsiders, stars who are invited to lead and participate in most everything, and those who never make the invite list. We gravitate toward the insiders and stars, hoping that maybe we will be accepted too. Now, to be fair, stars do not necessarily know that they are stars, and the insiders do not know that they are insiders. We give people that status by inviting some into our friendships and never thinking about others. That's just how social stratification works if we are not being cognizant to fight it by the name of Jesus. Here's what we can do to change this. Welcome different people. There's a novel idea. Welcome different people to the next thing you and your friends here are doing, not because the different people meet your parenting standards, live near your street, make right choices with their money or leisurely activities, have the right marital status, or have the right physical abilities and features. After the event, ask them how included they feel in what the Lord is doing at Calvary Memorial. Pray about what you hear them say and watch what the Spirit of God will do. Because in this body, our hope is not that we will have people commend us with their commendations. Our hope is that Christ will commend us to the Father. Our hope is that Jesus will take all of our disasters and all of our feeble efforts at success, all of our highly commendable human efforts, all of our mentoring, studying, researching, and playing, all of our broken relationships and our loves, all of our achievements and accomplishments, and perform a work through the Spirit of God in all these things that will make us look more like Jesus. What we hope is that what we now think is patience will approach the patience of Christ even more. That what we think was and is faithful parenting and grandparenting will have been fueled with the mercy of Christ in the lives of our children and grandchildren. That what we now feel is knowledge of God will become a much greater savoring of his loveliness and of his sweetness and of his kindnesses toward us. And that what we now think of as vibrant worship will give way to our never-ending praise of our great God and Savior. When Jesus gave his life for we who are facing death, condemnation, and a glory that was becoming inoperative, he did it so that by the Spirit of God, we might have life everlasting, righteousness of God, and a glory from God that would not be like broken tablets and credentials that will be forgotten. He did it so that like Christ himself, there would be a marvelous work of the Spirit of God in all of us that would last forever. Let us pray. Father, we bless you for your great kindness, 
your mysterious working. Your great mercies, the new covenant that we're about to celebrate. Thank you, Father, for doing the work that we cannot conjure. Our hope for our loved ones, our children, our grands, spouses for some, parents for others, is that your spirit will grab holds of lives and transform them so they look like all the loveliness and holiness of Jesus. Bless you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.